You're listening to Radio Maria Christian Voice in your home. We're not presenting the show. Jesus is the promised Messiah of Judaism with Roy Shulman. Hi, this is Roy Shulman, and welcome again to Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism, the show on Radio Maria that celebrates the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, or seen the other way around, that celebrates the fulfillment, the completion, the full realization of all of the promise of Judaism in the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Now, you, I, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I tend to do different things in different shows. And today's show is really, I suppose you could say, simply a celebration of the wisdom of the saints. And in particular, I was planning to read from some sermons of the Curé of Ars, uh, otherwise known as Jean-Marie Vianney, who was a um, very humble backwoods Catholic priest in France right after the French Revolution. And um, it's a tremendous treasure in the Catholic Church, the writing of the saints, and it's a treasure that doesn't exist anywhere outside the Catholic Church in the sense that there is a huge library of this incredibly deep wisdom about the human soul, about virtue, about what God wants from us, about really understanding ourselves and our behavior as it's seen in the eyes of God and therefore as it reflects on our virtue and our eventual judgment in a way that's that's absolutely unique, does not appear anywhere else. And and sometimes, I know growing up, is a little, this is a little bit of a digression, but growing up Jewish, I had a great, great, great frustration as a child and as an adolescent about, you know, just what does God want from us? What's important to God and what isn't important to God? Uh, what do we have to do to please God? And there really was no answer to these questions. There was no way to weigh one failing against another failing. And um, I'm going to go delicately here. I wasn't planning to say this, but I had a, a friend at university who was strictly, strictly, strictly observant Jewish, wouldn't dream of um, eating in a non-kosher restaurant, for instance, uh, or mixing milk and meat. But his behavior, I'll say this delicately, but his behavior in the realm in which 16, 17, 18, 19-year-olds tend to misbehave the worst was one of solid, serious, mortal sin. But he obviously weighed the importance of not mixing milk and meat as a greater deal in the eyes of God than the sins that he was engaging in. And you see how absurd that is. But at the same time, there isn't a rule book in other religions. Like there's a rule book in the Catholic religion and a fleshing out of of um, all of the gray areas in the writing of the saints. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to read some sermons from the Curé of Ars um, that revolve around examination of conscience and what God wants from us. So the first one I'm going to read, and by the way, they're quite severe, and I felt very, very convicted myself when I read them in my uh, morning prayer time a few days ago, which is why I want to read them now. So they're worth thinking about, however. So with that, let me read a sermon of his about basically the great virtue of charity. Um, 
so here goes with the cure of ours. All of our religion is but a false religion, and all our virtues are mere illusions, and we ourselves are only hypocrites in the sight of God, if we do not have that universal charity for everyone, for the good and for the bad, for the poor people as well as for the rich, for all those who do us harm, as much as for those who do us good. No, my dear brethren, there is no virtue which will let us know better whether we are the children of God than charity. The obligation we have to love our neighbor is so important that Jesus Christ put it into a commandment which he placed immediately after that by which he commands us to love him with all our hearts. He tells us that all the law and the prophets are included in this commandment to love our neighbor. Yes, my dear brethren, we must regard this obligation as the most universal, the most necessary, and the most essential to religion and to our salvation. In fulfilling this commandment, we are fulfilling all the others. St. Paul tells us that the other commandments forbid us to commit adultery, robbery, injuries, false testimonies. If we love our neighbor, we shall not do any of these things, because the love we have for our neighbor would not allow us to do him any harm. O oh dear Lord, how many Christians are damned through lack of charity. No, no, my dear brethren, even if you could perform miracles, you will never be saved if you have not charity. Not to have charity is not to know your religion. It is to have a religion of whim, mood, and inclination. Carry on, carry on, you are only hypocrites and outcasts. Without charity you will never see God, you will never go to heaven. Give away your wealth, give generous alms to all those who love you or please you, go to Mass every day, go to Holy Communion every day if you wish. You are only hypocrites and outcasts. Continue on your way and you will shortly be in hell. You cannot endure the faults of your neighbor because he is too tiresome, you do not like his company. Go away, unhappy people. You are but hypocrites. You have only a false religion, which, whatever good you are doing, will lead you to hell. Oh, my God, how rare this virtue is. Alas, it is so rare that they are rare, too, who will be going to heaven. I, won't, I don't want even to see them, you will say. At church they distract me with all their mannerisms. Ah, uh, unhappy sinner, say rather that you have no charity and that you are but a miserable creature who loves only those who agree with your sentiments and enter into your interests, who never go against you in anything, who flatter you on the subject of your good works, who love to thank you for your kindnesses, and who give you plenty of attention and recognition. You will do everything for such as these. You do not even mind depriving yourself of some necessity to help them. But if they treated you with contempt, or returned your kindness with ingratitude, you would no longer love them. You would never wish to lay eyes upon them again. You would avoid their company. You would be very happy to cut short any dealings you have with them. O oh, dear God, what false devotions these are which can only lead us to a place among the outcasts. I'm going to interrupt here. Um, this is, in a sense, extremely severe, and it is, um, I can't talk about you, I can talk about myself. It's extremely damning, so to speak, um, 
I, I mean, I, I feel very convicted myself, of course, when I read this. But it is, it, it's not controversial. Um, you know, it, it was said very, very clearly by Jesus himself. Remember when he said, many are they who will come to me, this is at the judgment, and say, didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I do miracles in your name? And I will say, depart from me, you sinners. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was, I was naked and you did not clothe me, and so on. And um, the point is extremely well taken, needless to say, which uh, the Curé of Ars points out here, which is love of neighbor when we're talking about people who we find agreeable is actually not the virtue of love of neighbor. That's, that's human nature. L the virtue of love of neighbor is to have the same love for people who we find disagreeable. And it is far easier to be pious in the sense of taking religion seriously, so to speak, and going to Mass and praying the Rosary and so forth than it is to actually exercise the virtue of charity. And in fact, one can actually work against the other. It's, there's, a, there's a temptation, we all know this, a temptation that religious people can easily fall into of a kind of smug sense of superiority and of distance from all of those sort of unworthy people who you know, do not follow the rules, who do not go to Mass, or even the ones who do go to Mass, but uh, go to Mass with screaming small children and disturb you. Um, how easy is it, is it to actually feel resentment towards them and a sense of condemnation towards them because they are disturbing us in our prayer? So, um, Anyway, as I said, I, I felt very convicted when I read this, and I also feel like this is not the kind of thing that's very often uh, preached about, and that um, the Cure of Ars has the right to say these things, because he really was a saint, and really he really showed tremendous, tremendous um, love and kindness towards people who persecuted him. So I don't have the right to say this. I don't have the right to preach this. Um, all I'm doing is re reading the Curé of Ars. So, um, because this is far, far, far beyond where I am now. But at the same time, I know it's where I have to strive to get closer to. So, so I guess that's why I'm reading it. So I will continue with the Curé of Ars. If you have any doubt of this, my dear brethren, listening to St. Paul, who will not lead you astray, if, he tells us, I should give my wealth to the poor, if I should work miracles by raising the dead to life, and have not charity, I am nothing other than a hypocrite. But to convince you even more firmly of this, go over the whole of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consult all the lives of the saints. You will find nothing in them which does not conform with this virtue. No, you will not find one of them who did not choose to do good to someone who had done them harm. Look at St. Francis of Sales, who tells us that if he had only one good work to do, he would choose to do it for someone who had done him some wrong, rather than for someone who had done him some good service. Alas, my dear brethren, the person who has no charity goes far afield for evil. 
If someone does him some harm, you see him examining all his actions then. He judges them, he condemns them, he turns them all to evil, and is always quite right that he is, excuse me, he turns them all to evil and is always quite certain that he is right. But, you will tell me, there are plenty of times when you see people doing wrong and you cannot think otherwise. My good friend, because you have no charity, you think that they are doing wrong. If you had charity, you would think quite otherwise, because you would always think that you could have been mistaken, as so often happens. I will just uh, just want to underline one passage in here, which is that quote from St. Francis de Sales, who says that if he only had one good work to do, he would choose to do it for someone who had done him some wrong, rather than for someone who had done him some good service. Uh, this is, of course, very counterintuitive on the surface, but with a moment's reflection, it is clear that even if St. Francis of Sales were thinking selfishly, which of course he wasn't, even if he were to think purely selfishly, there's a lot more merit in doing a good deed for someone who has wronged us than there is for doing a good deed for someone who has done us a favor. So it redounds far more to the merit of the person who does the good deed, does the favor, in this case St. Francis de Sales, to do it, in fact, for someone who has done us wrong. Um, I don't remember the exact passage offhand, but Jesus says, essentially, that if you do good to someone who has done good to you, what merit is there in that? Even the even the pagans, you know, are nice and do good for people who they like and do good for them. Uh, be more like your heavenly Father, who sends the rain down on the good and the bad equally. And of course, there is far more merit in us doing good for people who have wronged us than there is for people doing good for people who have done us favors. And as a little sidelight to this. There is no, the, the most, one of the more powerful forms of prayer is to pray for people who have done you wrong. Your prayer for somebody who has done you wrong is far more powerful than your prayer would be for them if they hadn't done you wrong. The fact that, I, I can't, I can't actually flesh out the uh, spiritual economy behind that, but the fact that they have done you wrong, and rather than exacting, trying to exact some justice against the wrong, you turn it around and use it as leverage to pray for them. It's a kind of spiritual jujitsu where you take the evil that they have done to you and it kind of gets amplified and bounced back at them as a tremendously amplified prayer for the good. Um, anyway, I will go back to um, um, the Cure of Ars before I get in too much trouble here. Um, um, yes, my dear children, anyone who has charity does not see the faults of his neighbor. Whoever possesses charity is sure that heaven is for him. This is a happiness which I desire for you. So that's, that's the end of that um, short... Um, exhortion, ex exhortation, excuse me, of um, the Cure Vars about the importance and centrality of the virtue of charity.
as really as really the foundation, the cornerstone of um, of growth uh, uh, growth in virtue. The cornerstone of virtue, I should say, actually. Anyway, um, I will go on to another a topic of the Cure of Ars, since I wanted to spend today reading from his sermons. And this is on the holiness of God's name. Uh, and it's a very beautiful sort of meditation because it deals with the holiness of God himself and who we are and who God is and the incredible condescension of God to have become man for us and not only to have come become man for our sake, um, but even to have become man to suffer and die for our sake and the very poor return we give him when we profane his name. So I'm going to read that uh, sermon on on uh, blasphemy and using the name of the Lord in vain from the Cure Vars. I will say two things before I start reading that sermon. The first is I'm reading from a book called Sermons of the Cure Vars, which is published by Tan Books. It's a modest uh paperback. And the other thing I wanted to interject and say is that this is a live call-in program. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And you're more than welcome to call in at any point during the show, uh, since what I'm doing is actually quite interruptible because I can always resume where I left off reading. So if you wish to call in with a a comment or a question, the number here is 866-333-6279. With that, on to uh, Cure Vars on taking the name of the Lord in vain and blasphemy and related sins. It is indeed surprising, my dear brethren, that God should have had to give us a commandment forbidding us to profane his sacred name. Can you imagine, my children, that Christians could so hand themselves over to the devil as to allow him to make use of them for execrating God, who is so good and so benevolent? Can you imagine that a tongue which has been consecrated to God by holy baptism and so many times moistened by his adorable blood could be employed in vilifying its creator? Would anyone be able to do that who truly believed that God had given him his tongue so that he might bless him and sing his praises? You will agree with me that this is an abominable crime, one which would seem to urge God to overwhelm us with all sorts of evils and to abandon us to the devil, whom we have been obeying with so much zeal. It is a sin which makes the hair stand on end, in anyone who is not entirely lost to the faith. And yet, in spite of its enormity, its horror, its blackness, is there a more common sin than swearing, than the uttering of blasphemies, imprecations, and curses? Let me interrupt myself. One of my favorite Marian apparitions is Our Lady of La Salette, which was 1846 in the French Alps, a church-approved apparition, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to two shepherd children, Melanie and Maximin, high above tree line. And um, when 
she appeared to them when they saw her first. She was sitting on a rock with her head in her hands, weeping. And they came over to her. She called them over to her. And she um, explained to them why she was weeping. And she said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, if you only knew how much I have to pray for you, I have to pray continually to keep the arm of my son from falling on you. The two sins that make the arm of my son so heavy are that people, um, excuse me, this is the words of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that people go to the meat market like dogs during Lent and that men can't even drive their carts without taking the name of my son in vain. These are the two sins that make my arm so heavy that I can no longer restrain it from falling. And she then went on to tell the children that if the people didn't repent, there would be a great famine and many of them would die. But if they repented, the potatoes would plant themselves in the field and so forth. And in fact, there was shortly thereafter a, a, a grave famine in the area. And the two sins that she mentioned, one of the two sins that she mentioned as what was about to bring down this chastisement on the people of the area was that, as she said, they couldn't even drive their carts without taking the name of Jesus in vain. And if that was bad then, I doubt that it's any better now. Anyway, back to the Cure of Ars. Um, I am going to explain to you, my dear brethren, what is understood by swearing, blasphemy, profanities, imprecations, and curses. For you to understand the enormity of this sin, my brethren, it will be necessary for you to understand the enormity of the outrage which it does to God, a thing which no mortal can ever understand. No, my dear brethren, only the anger, the power, and the wrath of God concentrated in the inferno of hell can bring home to us the enormity of this sin. All I want you to do, all I want to do is to make you understand the difference which exists between swearing, blasphemy, profanity, imprecations, curses, and coarse words. A great many people confuse these things and take one thing for the other, which is the reason why they almost never accuse themselves of the sins they should why they lay themselves open to the danger of bad confessions and therefore of damnation. The second commandment, which forbids us to use false and unnecessary oaths or to perjure ourselves, is expressed in the following words, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. This is as though God told us, I order you and command you to revere this name because it is holy and adorable. I forbid you to profane it by employing it to authorize falsehood, injustice, or even without sufficient reason the truth itself. And Jesus Christ tells us not to swear in any way. I tell you that I tell you that badly uh, instructed people often confuse blasphemy with swearing. If things have gone wrong with him, a man may, in a moment of anger or fury, say, God is not just to make me suffer. Although by these words he has thus spoken profanely about God, he will confess his sin by saying, Father, I accuse myself of swearing. 
yet it is not an oath, but a blasphemy which he has uttered. My dear brethren, this is what swearing is. It is calling upon God to witness what we say or promise, and perjury is an oath which is false. That is to say, it is perjury to swear to what is not true. The name of God is so holy, so great, and so adorable, that the angels and the saints, St. John tells us, say unceasingly in heaven, Holy, holy, holy is the great God of hosts. May his holy name be blessed forever and ever. When the Blessed Virgin Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and the saintly woman said to her, How happy you are to be a, have been chosen to be the mother of God. The Blessed Virgin replied to her, He that is mighty has done great things to me, and holy is his name. We ought, you see, my dear brethren, to have a great respect for the name of God, and pronounce it only with tremendous veneration, and never in vain. St. Thomas tells us that it is a serious sin to pronounce the name of God in vain, that it is not a sin like other sins. In other sins, the light nature of the matter diminishes the seriousness of the malice and the malice in them, and quite often what could be a mortal sin is only a venial sin. For instance, larceny is a mortal sin, but if it is theft of something very small, like a couple of cents, then it will be a venial sin only. Anger and gluttony are mortal sins, but slight anger or little gluttony are only venial sins. In regard to swearing, however, it is not the same thing at all. Here, the lighter the matter, the greater the profanity. The reason for this is that the lighter the matter, the greater is the irreverence. As if a person were to ask the king to serve as a witness to some trifle, which would be to make a fool of him and to belittle him. Almighty God tells us that anyone who swears by his name will be sternly punished. The Holy Scripture tells us again that whoever is accustomed to swearing, his house will be filled with iniquities, and the curse will never leave the house until it has been destroyed. Our Lord Jesus Christ tells us in the Gospel not to swear by heaven nor by earth, because neither the one nor the other belongs to us. When you want to confirm something, say, That is or that is not, yes or no, I did it or I did not do it. Everything you say over and above that comes from the devil. Besides, anyone who is in the habit of swearing is a fiery, undisciplined sort of person, very much wrapped up in his own feelings, and always ready to swear as well as to a lie as to the truth. Let me interrupt here. I will point out that in uh, this passages that I've been reading, uh, the Cure of Ars has been using the word swearing uh, precisely to refer to using the name of God to um, buttress an oath, to buttress the truth of something someone says. For instance, to say, "I didn't, you know, I didn't do it. I swear to God." And that 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 in itself is a, actually a serious sin. It's a serious sin because you are invoking the Creator of the universe to attest to a small or trivial matter, 
certainly a small or trivial matter in relation to who he is. And I even that that is e- the case even if what you are swearing to is true. But were you to be swearing falsely uh, and calling God to witness something as true which is false, it is, of course, many times greater sin. And this is why uh, Jesus himself said that you should not basically bring down the holy in order to affirm a statement of yours. You should simply say, it is or it is not, yes or no, I did it, I did not do it. It is, I, and um, in a sense, it's, it's sacrilege to be calling on God for, first of all, light matters, and second of all, matters which should be redundant, because if it's not true, you shouldn't be saying it's true. The fact that you're saying it is true should be a total affirmation of its truth, as, as strong an affirmation of its truth as you're capable of making without invoking God. Um, oh, we've come to the halfway point in the program, so uh, I think it's appropriate to take a short break, and uh, afterwards I will continue reading from the Cure of Ars. Um, I have no idea whether uh, whether you're uh, enjoying this, it's a funny word for for such serious matter, but I have no idea how it's coming across. Um, I I'm in a way I'm reading it for myself. I mean I'm 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 reading it because when I came across it earlier this week, I was as I said at the beginning of the show convicted and thought that it was a very sobering, correct perspective actually that it is salutary, that it does us good to um, confront ourselves with from time to time. So that is kind of the motivation for, for reading this. But with that, we'll go to our short musical break. Coming out of the break, the first thing I will do is turn to the call screen and see if any calls have come in. And if they have, I will immediately go to the calls before returning to the reading of the Curie of Ours. Uh, the number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. And you've been listening to Radio Maria, Jesus the Promised Messiah of Judaism, uh, with your host, me, Roy Showman. And with that, we'll be back in a few moments. Well, welcome back. Uh, I've been spending this show reading from the Curie of Ars, and most particularly at the moment, uh, a sermon of his about blasphemy and swearing and all of the forms of the violation of the second commandment to um, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So, continuing from where I left off, and again, you're more than welcome to call. The number here is 866-333-6279 or 866-333-MARY, M-A-R-Y. There's another kind of swing and cursing to which people give little thought. These are the oaths which are uttered by the heart. There are those who believe that because they are not actually said by the mouth, there is no harm in them. You are greatly mistaken in that, my friends. It may happen that someone does some damage to your land or elsewhere, and you swear at him in your heart and curse him inwardly, saying, 
May the devil make away with him. May his food poison him. And you keep these thoughts in your heart for any length of time, and you think that because you do not actually say them with your lips, there is no harm in them. My good friends, this is a very serious sin, and you must confess it or you will be lost. Alas, how few people know the state of their poor souls and how they appear in the eyes of God. In the third place, we say that, are, that there are others even more guilty of this sin who swear, not only in respect of things which are true, but even in respect of things which are false. If you could understand how greatly your impiety and blasphemy insults God, you would never have the courage to commit this sin. You behave towards God as would the humblest slave who should say to the king, Sire, you must serve me as a false witness. Does not that fill you with horror, my dear brethren? God says to us in Holy Scripture, Be holy because I am holy. Do not lie and do not cheat or wrong your neighbor, and do not perjure yourselves by taking the name of the Lord your God for a witness to a lie, and do not profane the name of the Lord. St. John Chrysostom tells us, If it is already a great crime to swear to something true, what is the enormity of the crime of the man who swears falsely to confirm a lie? Uh, now bear with me a moment um, while I um, uh, skip a little. Now, my dear children, it is not only an evil thing to swear oneself, but it is also very wrong to make others swear. St. Augustine tells us that anyone who is the cause of another's swearing falsely in law is more guilty than someone who commits homicide, because, he says, whoever kills a man kills his body only, whereas anyone who makes another swear falsely in law kills his soul. Um, again, please uh, bear with me. So that that is actually, I've come to the end of the section about uh, swearing, swearing in the literal meaning of uh, invoking God to attest to the truth of something that's said. And now I will go on to uh, the section of the sermon about blasphemy. Now you may ask me, what is to be understood by that word blasphemy? This, my dear children, is so horrible a sin that it would not seem possible that Christians should ever have the courage to commit it. Blasphemy is a word which connotes the hating and cursing of infinite beauty, which explains why this sin directly attacks God. St. Augustine tells us, We blaspheme when we attribute to God anything which is not an attribute of God, or which is not in keeping with Him, or if we dare to take from what would be in keeping with Him, or finally, if we attribute to ourselves that which is in keeping with God and which belongs to Him alone. I tell you, therefore, that we blaspheme, one, when we say that God is not just, in making some people so rich that they have everything in abundance, while so many others are so wretched that they have difficulty in getting bread to eat. 
2. We blaspheme when we say that God is not as good as people say, since he allows so many people to remain weak and despised by others, while there are some who are loved and respected by everyone. 3. We blaspheme if we say that God does not see everything, that he does not know what is going on in the world. 4. We blaspheme if we say, If God shows mercy to so-and-so, he is not just because that man has done too much harm. 5. We blaspheme when we come up against some loss or setback and we lose our temper with God and say such things as, Ah, but I certainly have bad luck. God cannot do any more to me. I believe that he does not even know that I am in the world, or if he does know, it is only so that he can make me suffer. Okay, well, um, of course I'm, I'm convicted a hundred times over in, in reading this uh, sermon, um, but it certainly provides <laughs> good material to bring to confession, that's for sure. Which is, an, uh, which actually the whole point of this sermon is uh, to kind of shed a light on a kind of sin that most of us commit all too frequently, but may not be sufficiently conscious of to bring to confession. So I hope I hope that this reading does some good in that light. Um, and I, I anyway, I will simply continue with it. St. Thomas tells us that blasphemy is an insulting and outrageous utterance against God or the saints. This may be done in four ways. One, by affirmation, as when we say, God is cruel and unjust to allow me to suffer so many wrongs, to allow anyone to calumniate me like that, to allow me to lose that money or this lawsuit. I am very unfortunate. Everything is going wrong with me. I cannot have anything while everything is going well with other people. Um, two, it is blasphemy to say that God is not all-powerful and that one can do anything without him. It was blasphemy for Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, to besiege the town of Jerusalem, saying that, in spite of God, he would take the town. He mocked at God, saying that he was not powerful enough to stop him from entering the town, and putting it to fire in the sword. But God, in order to punish the wretched man and to show him that he was indeed all-powerful, sent an angel who in one single night killed 180,000 of his men. On the following morning, when the king saw his army massacred and did not know by whom, he was terrified and fled to Nineveh, where he himself was killed by his own children. 3. It is blasphemy to bestow upon some creature that which is due to God alone, like those unhappy creatures who will say to some sinful creature who is the object of their passions, I love you with all the fervor of my heart, I worship you, I adore you. This is a sin which provokes horror, and yet is at least common enough in practice. 4. It is horrible blasphemy to damn something in the name of God. The sin of blasphemy is so great and so hideous in the eyes of God that it draws down all sorts of evils on the world. The Jews had such a horror of blasphemies that when they heard anyone blaspheming, they rent their garments. They did not even dare to pronounce the word, but called it benediction. 
The holy man Job had such fear that his children had blasphemed that he offered sacrifices to God just in case they had. St. Augustine says that those who blaspheme Jesus Christ in heaven are more cruel than those who crucified him on earth. The bad thief blasphemed Jesus Christ when he was on the cross, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. The prophet Nathan said to King David, Because thou hast given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme for this thing, that child that is born to thee shall surely die. God tells us that whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall die. We can say that blasphemy is truly the language of hell. It be warned, my dear brethren, that if blasphemy reigns in your homes, all therein will perish. St. Augustine tells us that blasphemy is an even greater sin than perjury, because, as he says, by perjury we take the name of God in witness of something which is false, whereas in blasphemy we are saying something false of God. What a crime is this, and who among us has ever fully understood it? St. Thomas, again, tells us that there is another kind of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, which can be committed in three ways. One, by attributing to the devil the works of Almighty God, as did the Jews when they said that Jesus drove out devils in the name of the Prince of Devils. It is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, and that is number two. It is blasphemy against the Holy Ghost, St. Augustine tells us, to die in final impenitence. Impenitence is a spirit of blasphemy, since the remission of our sins is achieved through love, which is the Holy Ghost. 3. We blaspheme when we perform actions which are directly opposed to the goodness of God, as when we despair of our salvation, and yet are not willing to take the necessary steps to obtain it, as when we are angered because others receive more graces than we do. Take great care never to allow yourself to fall into these kinds of sins because they are so very horrible. In this way we look upon Almighty God as unjust because he gives more to others than he does to us. Have you never blasphemed, my dear brethren, by saying that providence is only for the rich and the wicked? If something went wrong with your affairs, have you not blasphemed by saying, but what did I do to God more than anyone else that I should have so much to put up with? What have you done, my friend? Lift up your eyes and you will see him whom you have crucified. Have you not blasphemed also by saying that you were tempted beyond measure, that you could not do otherwise, that this was your lot? Well, my dear brethren, did you never think along these lines? So it is God who would have had you vicious, bad-tempered, violent, fornicators, adulterers, blasphemers. You do not believe in original sin, which dragged men down from the state of uprightness and justice in which we were all first created? Well, it is stronger than you are. But, my friends, did religion never come then to your aid to help you understand all the corruption of original sin? And yet you dare, wretched sinner, to blaspheme against him who gave religion to you as the greatest gift which he could make you. Have you not also blasphemed against the Blessed Virgin and the saints? Have you not laughed at their virtues, at their penances and their miracles? Alas, in this evil century, how many impious people do we not find 
who carry their impiousness to the point of actually scoffing at the saints who are in heaven and the just who are on earth? How many are there who make fun of the austerities which the saints practiced and who neither wish to serve God nor themselves nor tolerate that anyone else should serve him either? What is the difference, you may ask me, between blasphemy and the repudiation of God? I'm going to skip this section in the interest of time and go on to the next section. Uh, So I'm skipping the short section about repudiation. We see, even in our own day, that all these people who swear and profane the holy name of God almost always come to bad ends. Take good heed, my dear brethren, if you have this evil habit, you had better correct it, for fear that if you do not do penance for it in this world, you will be doing it in the next Never lose sight of the fact that your tongue should be employed in praying to God and in singing his praises. If you have the evil habit of swearing, you should often, in order to purify your lips, say the holy name of Jesus with great respect. How much happier we should be if we had the good fortune to employ our tongues, which have been consecrated to God by holy baptism, solely in prayer to God, who is so good, so benevolent, and to sing his praises. Since it is for that purpose that God has given us a tongue, let us try, my dear brethren, to consecrate it to him, so that after this life we shall have the happiness of going to heaven to bless him for all eternity. This is what I desire for you. So, I have come to the end of the passages from the Curé of Ars, St. John Marie Vianney, that I had wanted to read today. And I just want to add two little footnotes, which is just a couple of weeks ago, if that, we had the Feast of the Holy Name of Jesus right after the New Year. And um, it is well worth thinking about that there's a feast dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. Just imagine that every time we say the name of Jesus, we cause him to listen to us. You know the story of the boy who cried wolf? Well, if we want Jesus to listen to us when we call on him in prayer, if we want Jesus to listen to him, to us, when we reach out to him in need, then shouldn't we careful, shouldn't we be careful about taking his name on our lips when we don't want him to be listening to us? Think of it from his perspective, so to speak. If we say the holy name of Jesus because the thumb hits our, excuse me, the hammer hits our thumb instead of hitting the nail, or if we take the holy name of Jesus because somebody cuts in front of us while we're driving and we have to slam on the brakes, how many times is he going to respond to us because we've taken his name in vain before he stops responding to us when we take his name when we want him to respond to us? In other words, the situation of the boy who cried wolf. And if we use the name of Jesus irreverently enough times, can we 
expect the same response when we use it because we want him to respond to us. So, you know, I stand condemned, but we are certainly living in a society. I mean, I, 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 I mean, hmm. I can't think of a safe way to say this. I think most of us have heard far too often in far too many casual circumstances the name of our God, the name of our Savior, taken carelessly in, and in vain. And mea culpa, mea culpa. I think that probably most, if not all of us, have been guilty of it ourselves. So this has simply been a short exhortation to kind of raise our consciousness a little bit and to think of the love and fidelity which we owe to our Lord and Savior Jesus, to think of the sweetness and the power and the glory of his name, to think of the fact that we are going to be spending eternity saying, you know, holy, holy, holy is the name of God, and um, we want to be preparing for our eternity now, which means we want to be very careful about all of the forms of sin which are violations of the second commandment of not keeping the name of our God holy. So with that, I'll say goodbye for today. You've been listening to Roy Shoman on Jesus, the Promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. And um, I, I'll just put in a little advertisement that this show is available as a uh, podcast on uh, any podcast app if you just look for uh, my name, Roy Showman, I think that uh, you'll it's, you'll come across my my podcast channel, and the shows are also archived on RadioMaria.us, and um, that takes a little bit of time, but they're archived almost immediately on my website, SalvationIsFromTheJews.com. So with that, I want to thank you for listening, and invite you to join us again next week, same time, same place for Jesus, the promised Messiah of Judaism on Radio Maria. This is Roy Shoman saying bye for now.